0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Welcome, 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 welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast.
2: I'm Shane Hewitt, sitting in for Roy this weekend. And um, here's what we're going to do this weekend. First, I'm going to tell you very, very clearly, and I want you to hear me. Roy Green's fine. This was pre-planned vacation time. And Roy is going to enjoy the weekend with a little staycation at home. So there's nothing wrong in this world of change where so much is changing so quickly. Man, just know that we're going to make our way through this weekend without Roy. Roy will be back for you. And I most certainly hope he's got his feet up and uh, able to relax and uh, spend some time, maybe get some sleep. One of the things that I know in all of this is that everything has been changing so incredibly quickly including strange people stepping in on some of your shows. You might have heard me before. I'll introduce myself. So Shane Hewitt is my name. I still do music radio shows as well as talk radio shows, and I was given the nickname Zach so long ago. And so some people will come on this program. Most of them are going to call me Shane, but some of them might call me Zach. You might hear one slip out. It's going to happen. It does all the time. It's, it's kind of like Bubba. You know, it's like a nickname. It's going to, that's just the way it is. So the show might be a little bit different, maybe it's not, but all I know is that Roy's integrity and his intention with the show is always to bring you information that's going to help you and have conversation that's going to make a difference in your day. And that's what I'm going to try to do today. I do that slightly differently. I always pick a word for the day and the word for uh, today that we're going to create is impact. It's just that simple. Is what is the impact of all of this fast changing life have on all of us And that's really where we're going to uh, get started is what's the impact. Coming up on the program today, we're going to talk about an awful lot of things. We're talking about doctors. We're talking about shortages of PPE. We're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk a little bit about some heartbreak. We're going to talk about Kenny Rogers today. Because not to be forgotten in all of this is the icon that is Kenny Rogers has passed away by natural causes, just to be clear. And the biggest crime we can do is forget about people like that that have affected us for decades and decades and just because there is something incredibly uh, dramatic happening around the world right now, it's so important that we pay attention and participate with to not be forgotten of all of that. We've got some uh, big city mayors coming on the program today to talk about what their cities are up to and what the cities in general need to do when we constantly hear messages from the province. We constantly hear message from the federal government. And how do we get started in all of that? So what is the impact on you? And the number again, one 800 263 2428 Um, that's the number to call it in anytime. And if you want to email me, because I know Roy does the emails, um, I fill in for the Charles Adler Show quite often, the shift with Drex as well. And that's the email that you're going to use if you want to reach me directly via email today, shane, S-H-A-N-E, at charlesadlertonight.ca. So feel free. Last night was the first time, as far as I've ever known, that the border's been closed. The Canadian government announced it, Shut down for non-essential travel.
0: Canada and the United States have agreed to stop non-essential
2: travel specifically for tourism and recreation. Trade and commerce will continue. So here we are, the very first day after that. Sean O'Shea, a global news reporter on the line to help us understand. Uh, good afternoon, Sean. Welcome to the program. We got you there, Sean?
3: Oh, well, Shane, I can't hear you, but I assume you're trying to listen to me.
2: Yeah, I am May trying to listen to you. We're connected. just going to work on the feed there. Sure. One of the, uh, you got me Good. now? I do. Yes, I do. I'm going to take this opportunity, Sean, to explain what's actually happening with the program today, is that this program is produced across the Chorus Radio Network out of Hamilton and AM AM 900 CHML. and then, But typically, I do the shows out of Calgary, and the producer that helps me, Catherine, she's actually at CKNW in Vancouver. So this is the time we live in, Sean, is that we have people from multiple cities working together and uh, trying to push all the right buttons to make it work. So here we are
3: remarkably well uh, you know we're doing the same thing in television here where we're working remotely uh, I've been in the field with a crew but a lot of editing and different elements are being pulled it's it's quite remarkable and uh, I have to say that I, I believe our company's doing a great job trying to serve people because these are as you alluded to before very trying times and people need information
2: yeah and the overwhelm of information is actually something we're going to talk about today Sean I think I've got to a point where I've hit the wall now I've hit the wall where I'm like I can't even keep up. And I'm in it every day. I mean, I'm uh, basically isolated from home and to the studio and back again and nothing in between. And so the information for me is too much. I can only imagine for the people that are also getting water cooler talk plus information from their bosses uh, trying to keep up is incredibly difficult. So let's start there, Sean. Um, with the border closing last night, what's the status and what are we seeing?
3: Well, I was there at the border uh Shane, uh, a couple days this week down at Niagara Falls and at Fort Erie, and we did uh, quite a bit of reporting there. It was no surprise that it was going to happen when the government announced that this was going to happen. I interviewed the mayor of Niagara Falls, Jim Diodati, who said, it's about time we knew this was coming. We fully support it. Got to remember, that community relies so heavily on tourism. Uh, Most people's jobs depend on tourism, and yet they said, got to do it because we've got to make sure we deal with this thing properly. So as of midnight, as you said, the border was shut down to non-essential travel. Uh, my colleague from Global National, Jeff Semple, is, is there. We were. I left there last night. He was there at midnight. And basically right before midnight at the, the Rainbow Bridge, people that know Niagara will know that the Rainbow Bridge is the bridge from Niagara Falls, Ontario, to Niagara Falls, New York. Um, and just before, right at midnight, people were, Canadians were turned away. There was a Canadian uh, who went across uh, to join a family member over there. They were turned away. Uh, There was one woman who was actually walking across the bridge, um, and she was turned away. So they're taking it seriously. This is not fun and games. The door has been closed to all but non-essential travel, commercial travel, people who live uh, on one side of the border and work on the other side of the border. Uh, You talked about uh, precedent. The only precedent I'm aware of was when 9-11 hit, And for a short period of time, the borders were closed until they figured it out. But this is not a short-term thing. This is going to last for a minimum of 30 days.
2: So what is the status on the workers, Sean? Are we looking at workers are not allowed to travel anymore? If you are in, you know, uh, Washington State and you've got to get into Vancouver for work or vice versa from uh, Niagara Falls, uh, New York to to Ontario, Is like, are you not allowed to cross now?
3: the governments on both sides uh shane put out very specific instructions that the border agents would follow um if you're a student for example and you are a canadian student attending a university or a college in the united states you can cross if you are a canadian citizen who lives on one side of the border but has a job on the other side very common in places like windsor ontario and detroit uh that's okay they have a a legitimate purpose to travel people in the military diplomats, a host of some other uh, exceptions. But the purpose of this was to stop people who come across the border to go shopping, stop people from going grocery shopping, stop people from going hunting. The stuff that people really don't need to be doing right now and that both governments are trying to discourage people from doing, that's been put at an end. And it was still reasonably substantial in number, um, although in the last few days after the governments announced that this was coming, uh, it, it substantially cut down.
2: It was like a kind of like the Indy 500 this morning, I noticed in and around Calgary. So we're a couple of hours north of the border where I'm broadcasting the show from today. So any sort of trickle over from last night and travelers that might have stayed the night um, after crossing the border, making their way this morning. And you could see it was motorhome after motorhome, RV after RV, which I am assuming snowbirds making their way back north again and just trying to do it under the wire. You guys seeing the same thing down there? A lot of people just hustling hard to make their way home?
3: We saw that through the week, and I I know your situation well, because I'm born and raised in Calgary, and my sister still lives there. I know that area well, and I know the amount of travel that goes from Alberta down to Montana and to places like like Idaho. So yes, people were finally getting the message, although I have to say, Shane, that it's kind of shocking. We were at the border, uh, pardon me, at Pearson Airport, Canada's busiest airport two weeks ago and last week, and just even after the government said, listen, we don't advise you leaving the country, People were still taking uh, a dice roll on leaving and going ahead with their March break vacation. In retrospect, it's pretty shocking, but a lot of people said, I paid for the trip, I'm going to go. So many people who are outside the country struggling trying to get back now because of compressed flight schedules and all of that sort of thing did it knowingly, which is which is rather unfortunate because the messages were there that people should take this seriously and many people ignored them.
2: Uh, it's so incredibly true. Sean O'Shea, global news reporter. Thank you for your time today. Joining me right now is our next guest talking about the border. Um, pretty unprecedented. Bruce Hyman is here, former U.S. ambassador to Canada. Bruce, welcome to the program.
4: Good to be with everybody on this uh, very ominous uh, virus day. Um, we see this coming our, to our shores at a pretty fast rate. So
2: It is coming incredibly everybody's quickly. home and healthy. I, You know, and I'm inspired. I saw somebody running today, you know, by themselves on a path, and they were Mm -hmm. clearly not the kind of person that's a runner. And I don't mean that from some sort of body judgment thing. I mean, you know when you see a runner and they're particularly graceful? This was not a graceful human being. This was somebody who has clearly taken this opportunity uh, to be able to try something different. And that is inspiring to see that. What we see coming out of the States right now, Bruce, how unprecedented is it to see this shutdown between these two countries?
4: Oh, it's unprecedented to see the shutdown between the two countries, but in reality, it's unprecedented to see what's happening within our two countries and globally. So I think that the policy change with regard to the border was just a manifestation of the realities of what's happening on the ground in each of our two countries. And, you know, we, we live in unprecedented times. And so I think everything that we are going to experience each day, each week for a bit, um, will be a new path for all of humanity, and uh, at least humanity on this side of the planet. And uh, it's, uh, it's going to be challenging for those of us who have been used to the freedoms that we've had, and it's not, it's not going to come easy for a lot of people to be cooped up in their home for several weeks.
2: When we saw the announcements come out, Um, those are big impacts on humans. And I don't even mean the trade and I don't mean the economics. I mean, we can talk about that, sure. But the reality is, is when somebody says that the number one partner next door, there's closing the doors, that's hard on everybody. Um, How how hard is it or was how necessary was it to have both governments sort of approach that at the same time?
4: So think about it this way. And I, I actually think that this was, promoted first uh, by the Canadians, but I have no evidence of that. But let's just say it was. I think the prime minister had his first goal was to limit the spread of this virus in Canada and committed to the health and safety of all Canadians. And to the best possible way to do that is, first of all, stop any new viruses coming into the country and limit the spread that's taking place that's already there within the country. The second recognizing that, hey, I can't shut down everything, because we actually function with uh, some minimum amount of commerce that exists that needs to keep this linkage together. So we need to stop discretionary travel, but at the same time, we need to maintain necessary travel. And the third, which may have been the most difficult needle to thread, was to make sure you do this without upsetting a guy who's easily upset down at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And so I think the prime minister actually accomplished with the, uh, the deputy prime minister, Christopher Freeland, they accomplished this fairly effectively and very quickly um, um, to, to put this in place. So it is it is unprecedented. We have 120 or so border crossings between our two countries. Canada uh, borders three oceans in one country, and we have 5,525 miles across you know the 49th parallel your southern border and then out west up the coast of alaska and on an average daily basis we would see about and in good economic times and in no virus you know world uh, about four hundred thousand people cross the border on a daily basis and about 2 billion u.s or you know 2.7 ish billion canadian two point somewhere in that range
2: 2.5 2.6 wow that's 2. a remarkable 7. number So we were just chatting with um, Bruce Hyman. He's still on the line. Um, Bruce is former U.S. ambassador to Canada, and we just ran out of time in that segment. But the question I wanted to ask you, Bruce, I just think it's an important question. You know, closing these things down seemed to happen very quickly, but yet um, reopening it is not going to happen quite so quickly. With your experience in doing, you know, sort of foreign relations between countries, how much work is it to reopen this?
4: Well, the border itself could reopen, but the relationship in terms of the economic relationship is going to probably change pretty significantly going forward. And I'll, and I'll tell you this real carefully, that in recessions, especially in the United States, companies are fast to fire, slow to hire. I also think we're going to learn to live differently, communicate differently, shop differently, spend differently. And if the U.S. government is going to spend trillions of dollars for our economy, they're probably not going to want foreign labor, foreign inputs, foreign products. They're going to really promote this by America. And this follows in line with the president's make America great, you know, mantra. And so I think that it only escalates the xenophobic nature of the path that we've been on, which caused the U.K. to separate from from Europe and Brexit and for the U.S. to behave the way it has over the last few years. I just think it's going to get more challenging.
2: The more that we see the United States behave like a business, if you will, uh, the more that it almost translates better for people to understand, because I don't think we quite understand politics. I think that as employees or business owners, we often understand business a little bit better. So the insight is um, is quite remarkable. Bruce, what's one thing that you've learned from this that surprises you about yourself, your family, um, about things that you maybe didn't need or worried about that two weeks ago that you don't worry about anymore? You know, when
4: you're healthy, you just put health as second and you think about everything else. You think about money, you think about, you know, personal objects you have or, you know, fun times, wine you drink, food you eat. But when you get challenged like this, I think the value of health and health care is really important. And it also is a stark difference between Canadian health care and U.S. healthcare, care. And this has been a big issue in the campaigns. So I'll tell you, it's it's going to be the issue going forward for Americans.
2: I agree absolutely because the infrastructure is just not there I mean if ever you wanted a f- an argument for um, for some sort of globalized treatment of healthcare in some fashion you look at countries that have it and there at least is an infrastructure there to distribute and that's not right. even there in the United States it's remarkable
4: but I am I, I while this will be different and things will change and we're not going to go back to the way it was we will evolve and we will come out better and stronger And I'm optimistic, but there's some dark days, I think, ahead of us here until the storm passes.
2: Yeah. In in business, we always say this is going to get worse before it gets better. Bruce Hyman, former U.S. Ambassador to Canada, thank you for sharing time today. Pleasure. Be well, everyone. Be healthy. Our next guest is Dr. Michael Warner. Uh, He's the head of ICU at Michael Guerin Hospital in Toronto. Doctor, thanks for joining us today. I gotta tell you, I've heard that a bunch of times, uh, but it still gets me, Michael. This is why the conversation is so important. Um, you know, I mean, you see that at work every day. When you go home and you put your head down at night, what do you, what do you say to yourself, man?
0: Well, uh, you know, I've, I've been in practice for over ten years dealing with critically ill patients, and it's also, it's always more impactful when you have someone young with. Disease that they didn't expect to have. That that soundbite was quite emotional for me as well. Um, I can say that you know, what we're focused on right now is just preparing uh, for what we feel is coming.
2: I'm gonna. We're gonna get into the what's coming. We're gonna take a little break before we do that. But before we do that, I just want you to um, give us. What you're grateful for, uh, whether it's your team at uh, the Michael Garron Hospital, uh, for your your family, your friends, your, your doctors, your teachers, I don't care what it is. Uh, but we'll get the what's next part because there's um, important messages there. But before the break here, Michael, uh, take it where you need to take it. Uh, what are you most grateful for today as a doctor who deals with this every day?
0: Uh, I mean, my focus, to be honest is is mostly outward right now, not really what I'm feeling. Um, the team at the hospital has been working since January to prepare for this. Um, unfortunately, no amount of preparation could you know make us ready for uh, I know you don't want to talk about what's coming, but that's really what my focus uh, is on. Of course, I'm thankful for my family and friends. I think what we're going through in the world right now is difficult for everyone, including the social distancing that's uh, we're being asked to do, but I'm telling everybody to do. That's very hard, and we also have to think about the people who don't have what I have and what some of your listeners have, which is fr- family and friends and internet connections, all these things that allow us to get through this very difficult experience, even if you're not sick. So, you know, I'm a very fortunate person to be in a position to help people who are going to get this, and that I'm thankful for. And, and I think I'm thankful for the team at the hospital and all healthcare workers and everyone who really wants to help uh, with this initiative to get through COVID-19 together.
2: Biggest thing that's facing um, downstream, or I guess upstream from us right now, in your hospital for healthcare practitioners, what what are we looking at?
0: So the concern for my hospital is the same concern, coast to coast to coast. The most important thing that Canada needs to do today is ensure that there's an adequate supply of personal protective equipment for healthcare workers who are going to be dealing with patients with COVID-19 or who are suspicious of having COVID-19. Without that fundamental, without those fundamental pieces of equipment which I can go through, nothing else really matters. I can have all the ventilators in the world, but if I don't have a gown, gloves, mask and face shield to walk into the room with, then I can't treat the patient or put them on the ventilator. There's nothing more important in the country today other than getting that equipment made and delivered.
2: So making it, uh, is the supply chain gonna be fast enough to, to get it to you or do we have other options here?
0: So there's a number of ways that I think about this. So first of all, what do we have right now? So each hospital or healthcare facility should have an inventory of all the different pieces of equipment they have. That information needs to be shared among all healthcare institutions across the country. We've already decided that doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers may be able to move from hospital to hospital depending on where the demand is. So the equipment that's needed to care for patients should also be mobile to some degree. But first, we need to know what we have. Then we need to estimate how quickly we'll burn through that. And at my hospital, based on current use, there are elements that we will run out of in about three weeks. That's based on current use, not on future use. And that's extremely frightening for me. Um, So once we have an inventory, then we need to look at where does PPE or personal protective equipment exist in society so it exists in dentist's office veterinary clinics nail salons on construction sites in woodworker shops these are all the places that the government needs to get PPE from we need depots in all major metropolitan areas we need the government or some other organization to pick this up from people because we don't want people to be driving because of social distancing needs to be disinfected and then distributed to places that it's in the most need. So that's step two. That's kind of an Amazon FedEx, you know, logistics issue. Then step three, and the Premier of Ontario announced this today, we need every company, every manufacturer that's able to to produce personal protective equipment like it's a wartime effort. We could be in this for months and it hasn't really even started yet. And, you know, the only way to protect Canadians is to have our soldiers which are our healthcare workers uh, with the right equipment you know and the personal protective equipment is the most basic armor that we wear and without it we can't provide care to people so in my mind it's very clear what needs to be done and i'm doing everything i can to get that message out
2: it seems like um, yeah like dentist office alone would be able to supplement such a big inventory of you know before you even step outside that because you know dentist office of all things when you're dealing with a bug that thrives on spit um, is not some, one of those things we're going to be doing anytime soon so it's remarkable tell me about hand sanitizer because every time I've been in the hospital I've been around the hospital hand sanitizer is everywhere how important is that shortage right now uh,
0: so hand sanitizer I think is important I think the thing with hand sanitizer for me in the hospitals I do have An alternative, which is washing my hands with soap and water, and hopefully soap and water will remain available to me. So for me, it's not actually a pressing need. I I know that there are some um, innovative individuals who are trying to come up with ways to to create hand sanitizer for public consumption. I would encourage people who are innovative to do those things. I mean, we may find ourselves in a position where we're calling on all the seamstresses in, in in the nation to. Make gowns and masks for people. I mean, the, the, I'm anticipating a potential wartime effort. We need all we need to all be unified. But the encouraging news is that I think that everybody wants to help. Since I put out my message, you know, really yesterday about this, um, I've had hundreds of emails, text messages, uh, Twitter messages with people looking to help. So what I'm asking for is, you know, I'm an intensivist. I have to take care of patients. My garage is only so big. We need the government to organize the collection. Of all this equipment that people are willingly wanting to donate, and I'm sure your listeners right now are thinking to themselves, "Wow, you know, I'm a woodworker. I've got five N95s in my in my in my shop. Well, you know, those five N95s actually make a material difference because those are five lives that can be saved." So once the public knows what they can do and where to go to, or which website to go to to catalog what they have, etc., then we can get everything organized. We can know what we have, what we need, how much we need to produce, and how fast we need to produce it.
2: Head of ICU at Michael Garron Hospital in Toronto, Dr. Michael Warner. Um, I will take the moment, doctor, because uh, like you said, you're taking this time to uh, go outward with everything. Um, so allow me the space, please, just to say thank you for your hard work uh, and thank you for your commitment to making sure that not only today we're looking at this, this is one of those scenarios that, hey, if we end up with extras at the end of this, we're gonna be okay too. Um, but your commitment to that message and your commitment to go to work and, frankly, stand in the line of that every day, on behalf of everybody, I'll just say thank you, sir.
0: Team effort. My pleasure.
2: Joining me now, John Torrey, Mayor of Toronto. Uh, thanks for jumping in with us today, John. I appreciate it.
5: My pleasure. How are you doing?
2: Uh, isn't that a big question, right? How are you doing? Yeah. For everybody. It is. And then when I say all of this, I, I, you know, the impact of COVID-19 on everybody is going to be a little bit different yet. It's all kind of the same. And, you know, looking at a national radio show and trying to talk about the things that are going on in other cities, we are presented with an opportunity to really hear what's happening in other cities. Maybe it's not happening in mine and be able to say, Hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to take that to my council. I'm going to take that to, you know, my mayor or whatever it is. So it is important to talk about, you know, for the people in Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton, uh, what is going on in Toronto? Um, the overwhelm is remarkable. Before we get started here, though, I want to ask you about your direct assistance, because I know you have, some, of course, some help in the office. Can you tell me how amazing these humans are? Because, you know, they're making your world turn right now.
5: Oh, well, I, look, especially in my circumstance where I am personally uh, self-isolated because I was in England uh, and came back and had to follow, heat my own cooking, as they say, and follow the rules on self-isolating. And I, So I've been by myself in my condo where I live in downtown Toronto, You know, for, I guess, it's now uh, 10, 9 days, 10 days. And, uh, you know, without the team backing me up. And then, of course, there's the broader team of people who are out there. I mean, I think of the people in all the cities that are listening, uh, you know, starting with the public health workers and then going through from there to the first responders, police, ambulance, fire. And then you go through to the people like grocery store clerks. I mean, we've said the grocery stores should remain open, the pharmacies. Well, there are people working there. Uh, and uh, they're serving us, the TTC, uh, in our case, the, tra- the transit system operators. I mean, it goes on. And, you know, if those people weren't all at work, then whatever I do as the mayor would be meaningless, and uh, it, we wouldn't be able to provide the support to people. Many, many people working for food banks and community organizations that are helping fill in the blanks. You know, I look at seniors, for example. There's a lot of seniors who are very much able to get out to do their own shopping in normal times, but they've been told to stay home, and they've been told they're particularly at risk. So we've had to sort of develop things like phone trees where we have people phoning these seniors who are healthy and they're in good shape, but they're following the instructions and staying home and make sure they're okay, make sure somebody goes out to get them the food, which normally they get themselves. And so there's just all these people doing all this. And it, it gives you some heart in a, in a situation when, you know, a lot of the time it's easy to sort of have people feel helpless and hopeless about this because it has no, you know, it has no easy answer. as to when's this going to be over? What's the right thing to do? You know, and so on.
2: When you look at um, the balance of the job of a mayor, shutting down bars, the property taxes that are associated with that, the business taxes and property taxes, I mean, that's a big chunk of income for Greater Toronto and all the cities that are involved in that. But at the same time, it's a necessity to do that. So, what do you say to the bar owners? Um, you know that you I mean they're going from a hundred to zero, and that's incredibly hard on business owners. Um, it's like a layoff except a personal guarantee on everything.
5: Yeah, I mean, Shane, I've had emails from people this week. That some I, did, I, I didn't know and some I did know in the restaurant and bar business, just to pick that example because you did. And I, I had a teleconference with uh, a whole bunch of representatives of the restaurant and hospitality industry because, of course, they've been hit in just the way you said. I mean, even the hotels, which are bigger and often owned by bigger companies, were telling me they went from you know, pretty full because Toronto was doing very well Uh, to literally three people, three rooms occupied in the entire hotel. And so all I've been able to say to the smaller businesses is this, um, because they kind of say, well, look, I've been building this business up for years, and so we have deferred their taxes, deferred, and they wish we'd forgiven them. And I said, well, we just can't do that right away because you have to have a better feel for, you know, how long this is going to last and how much it's going to cost and whether you do it for restaurants and bars and what do you do about all the other businesses. So we're we're sort of all taking stock and doing what we can to at least give some breathing space, and put some cash or leave some cash in people's pockets. But the part that's devastating is you read these stories, people writing to you. They're not writing angry at me or angry at government. They're just writing and saying, what do I do? I mean, I've got this business I built up over time. It doesn't have a lot of cash. It has some loans. It has its taxes to pay. And it has people that work for it, you know, who are already unemployed. And uh, that's the tough part of, of being in these jobs, because you have to say to those people, there are no magic answers. Um, and you have to do the best you can to help them. And I think all three governments, provincial, federal, I can only speak for Ontario, obviously, but provincial, federal, and municipal are doing the best they can. Uh, is it enough? Are we going to need more? I suspect we might, but uh, at the moment, at least there have been some measures to leave money in people's pockets, to put money in people's pockets who are becoming unemployed, uh, and to extend some help uh, to businesses and uh, and others to, uh, and the banks have been doing a little bit too, but I just think, you know, again, depending how this goes on, we may need more.
2: Help us understand what that, that deferral means. Um, is, it, um, is it deferred and dealt with later? Is it possible that those things are just going to change in time? Uh, we don't know yet. Um, you know, in the case of mortgages or loans, I mean, those payments can sort of be added on to the end. But assuming that things like property taxes are going to, you know, still be property taxes a year from now, um, there's just gonna be sort of a few payments missing. So. Is it even possible to have a solution for that yet? Or do you just have to sit with it and say, well, we're going to give you the space today, we'll figure it out later?
5: Well, we're more doing the latter. And I'll tell you why in the case of municipalities. Now, I don't know if other municipalities across Canada face the same uh, rules we do, but I think a lot of them do because I meet with my big city mayor colleagues all the time. Um, we are not allowed to run a deficit. I actually think that's a really good thing. Like, I, it, it imposed the discipline on city government that I think is, uh, you know, is welcome. Uh, but what that means for us is if we say to people, well, we're we're, we're gonna not just defer your tax installment on April 1st, we're going to forgive it. Then that costs us hundreds, in the case of Toronto, which is so big, it costs hundreds of millions of dollars. And it means then we have to, uh, you know, cancel city services or lay people off. And so I don't want to just make the rash decision as much as it sounds good to say, well, we're going to forgive your April tax payment and then not have thought through the consequences of that in terms of having to reduce services or having to lay people off. Because, you know, laying people off simply adds one more person or a group of people to the unemployment ranks and cutting services at a time when they're probably needed the most, especially for vulnerable people. Um, I don't think anybody's going to thank too much for that. So what we're doing is, as you said, we're giving people some breathing space. We're deferring some payments. But, you know, like anything, it's like deferring payments on your uh, credit card. You can defer it for a long time, uh, month by month by month, but it all adds up. And at the end, it's still due just postponed it. So we're being very conscious of making, I'm having a briefing today in, in less than an hour from now about the impact on the city's finances, the various things we might do, because I have to perform that balancing act of saying in the case of city government, where we can't run a deficit, this is what we can do without impairing city services unduly and, or, and without laying people off.
2: Well, as the mayor of Toronto, what's the next step? What do you do next?
5: Well, for us, and I think it's true across the country, the biggest challenge at this moment is not worrying about what we're going to do in two months with the money or any of that. It is that's important, but what's really important right now is that we convince people uh, to uh, self uh, social uh, you know social distance from each other. I mean, it, we're getting good compliance, but not as much as it has to be. Uh, we're getting good compliance on the business side. You know, we've been out checking and done surveys and found, for example, on the bars and restaurants, where I'm very sympathetic to, you know, what they've had to uh, put up with being closed down. But we're getting. 99.5% compliance based on surveys we're doing. Well, there's 0.5%. I don't know who they are. I'd love to know their names. I'd read them out on the air, just to say why are they doing this. Hmm. But uh, and on the personal side, we're getting, you know, the majority of people are uh, are are, are uh, you know socially distancing themselves, staying home as we're asking. But there are still, frankly, too many people who are going grocery shopping too often. We're keeping the grocery stores open. We understand you have to eat, but you can shop once a once a week instead of what you might have been used to at three times a week. You know, people were much more into fresh food and i understand that uh, we do that in our house but uh, right now we're saying once a week and stay away from crowd scenes and if you're older or go to the special hours that are set uh, aside for you by the company so that you don't mix in with the crowds to the same extent so that's probably our biggest challenge right now is getting people to buy in And in, in ontario we have a whole bunch of people coming back from spring break school break those who traveled and they have to understand it is serious business you have to socially isolate meaning you have to 14 days put yourself away that I have been doing, uh, you know, work from home, don't see people, no dinner parties, no children's play dates. You've got to isolate. And I think that's the biggest thing we can be doing to stop the spread of this virus right now. That's what I'm told by the health officials. not It's not a political opinion. It's a professional health opinion.
2: John Tory, mayor of Toronto, I have a challenge for you. What's that? Well, you live in a condo, right? I do. Okay. So in Italy, people are singing on their balconies. So I think that you should set the example in Toronto and start singing on your balcony. Like, pick a time. I'm like, you can choose the time. I'm not going to schedule your day. But I mean, like seven o'clock would be all right. You know, get out there, sing a little song for everybody. I think you could you could really start that ball rolling. I think it's a great idea.
5: Are you on tomorrow again or just today?
2: I'm on tomorrow again. <laughs>
5: okay, well, because see, I was just going to say that if I did this, uh, I'm not sure people would want to hear me sing. I'm not oh. sure what I would sing. But having said all that, I'm willing to send you a tape. Uh, uh, if I decide this is in my best interest to do this. So that, you know, yeah. my team of advisors who are probably listening right now are going, oh, Shaking my their heads. God, Tonight what I'll is go. he doing? <laughs> no! <Man>, he has lost <laughs> his mind from socially isolating himself.
2: Oh, that's so good. Yeah, well, that could be the case, too. But if you do it, and you know, here's the deal, if you do it, and uh, and if you record it on the video, um, then send it our way, and we will get it on the program tomorrow, setting an example of uh, trying all to right. make some, some fun okay. and some playfulness in all of the silliness. And people around
5: the country, like I, 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 you know, I'm a proud Canadian first, more than anything else. I want this country to get through this. I want our city, obviously, to get through it. So thank you for following the advice you're being given to stay inside, stay at home. I know it gets tough uh, to to have the kids cooped up and to be cooped up yourself, but if we get through this, it's a tiny amount of time in in a lifetime. You know, it is, really. I mean, it it seems like a long time, and it will be longer yet, but it's it's a tiny part of of a lifetime, and so let's just do it, get through it, get the pain over with, and get back to this wonderful life we have in this country.
2: I'm mayor of Toronto, John Torrey. Thank you, John.
5: Thanks, Shane. Bye-bye.
2: John Picas is employment lawyer partner at uh, Sempfiro Tumarkin LLP. Did I say that right, John? You did. You did. Hello. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for sharing some time today, and I really appreciate your professional insight. We're dealing with a lot of information right now, aren't we, John?
1: We we are, and and a lot of information about the same topic. And it's uh, the thing that makes this so unique is that everyone uh, from business owners to employees are sort of uniformly anxious and I'm hearing from all of them right now
2: are you sleeping because I'm not I'm not I'm really not I'm waking up three four times a night that's not like me
1: yeah you know what, what I'm trying to remember and, and what I hope everyone tries to remember is that uh, we have a lot of very smart very capable people working on this and at some point we will make it to the other side we just have to you know stay positive and, and do everything we can to mitigate the, the damage
2: As an employment lawyer, one of the things that I really wanted to bring up today was the status of things. It's very easy for us to look at all of this information and all of these websites and all of these phone numbers and call here for this and call here for that and say, oh man, what a mess. But really, when we look at EI, when we look at all the places, some of these things functionally were okay for customer service or getting some online support. Some of them were really great and um, there were delays before and now there's a massive influx of things that are coming in. So it's not so insert, uh, absurd as an employee or as a business owner that that this is changing very rapidly, but it really wasn't always great before. And we seem to forget that. We seem to think that it's going to be perfect. So how do you mitigate that when you're trying to deal with people, John?
1: It's very hard. And I mean, it's absolutely true that uh, you know, with, with all the respect to all the people who, who work at Service Canada, I mean, the ability to get an answer from Service Canada was very difficult even before, um, all of this happened. And now we had uh, about 500,000 Canadians filing for EI all in one week, which is completely unprecedented. So, uh, they would need a massive influx of resources just to get to the level that they were before, which, you know, you could already expect to be on hold for an hour or two hours or often what would happen is they would just say, we're too busy, call back. Uh, and I, I've, I've heard that from my clients for as long as I've been practicing. Uh, so I can only imagine um, how difficult it must be right now. And I think that for most people, if you can avoid having to call the line and, and you can use the online resources, that is the best way to go.
2: So when you deal with clients and people call you, and if I don't quite understand what your day-to-day role is, John, please just help me adjust that. But when people are calling saying, hey, I've been given a package, here's my deal, what do I do, do I check it over? I mean, I know full well that employment lawyers are so incredibly important to make sure that they're you're maximizing uh, everything that you're entitled to. Um, is now the time to do that or is it time to trust in the system?
1: well it's going to differ from one case to another so certainly if you've been working for if you're for example a server for a restaurant and you know you there there's been a government order to shut down everything except for takeout then you're probably not going to be someone who's going to um, have a valid claim to severance but for most people right now if you're just being uh, terminated because you're being put on a layoff uh, and the layoff has been communicated to you as, you know, there's just not enough business to keep you working. And the employer has elected to put you on a layoff. Maybe they put everyone on a layoff. Maybe they've only put some people on the layoff. Then yes, uh, then you will have some uh, severance entitlements um, because in that case, it's it's very similar to any other temporary layoff. Um, whether you want to claim those uh, make those claims now or later, I, I think the problem is if you if you wait too long, um, there, you know, you you may be waiting until that business is no longer viable anymore, uh, and you may be behind a long list of other people who are also making claims against that business. So, uh, people really do need to consider these things if um, the reason you've been laid off is because of just you know the fact there's a downturn in business.
2: If it's a blood from a stone scenario, which many businesses are going through, and that's not the fault of the business owner, uh, just some of those businesses are so incredibly uh, day-to-day cash-heavy. Um, you know, that's the scenario for some of them. And uh, mm-hmm. how, how do you deal with that when, you know, there's literally no answer? Where do we start?
1: Well, that, that's, that's a situation that's very sad for everyone, right? I mean, if, if the business truly cannot survive, uh, the, the old saying, you know, you can't get blood from a stone is absolutely true. And I've had to have those conversations many times with people when the business... Com- simply shutters, uh, those people aren't going to get severance. And the most prominent example in recent memory would be Sears, right? A lot Mm. of people lost out on um, severance packages, some people with 20, 30-year service.
2: Yeah. I even had gift cards that I didn't get to use. I didn't think. Right. Right. So it does affect everybody, this kind of change, right? It really does. Mm. So where can we go, John, when we look at, um, you know, a starting point? There's so many places to go. There's so much information out there. How do we get started?
1: If you've been put on a temporary layoff and you expect the business is going to be able to call you back and they're just responding to government-mandated closures, then what you really want to focus on is employment insurance and more specifically the emergency care benefit. This is a benefit where you can get up to $900 biweekly for 15 weeks. It's available not only to employees, but it's also available to self-employed if you meet certain criteria, if you're taking care of a sick uh, family member, if you are uh, supervising your children um, because of school closures, um, or if you are quarantined or in self-isolation. So uh, it's a wide category of people that it applies to, which is very different and very special for this pandemic. And uh, the best place to go to apply for these things is online, because as you said at the beginning here, if you try and call in, you could be on wait for hours.
2: And you called that the emergency care benefit?
1: That uh, That is what uh, the government is calling it. They're calling it uh, um, temporary income support, but it's also been referred to as the emergency care
2: benefit. Yeah, and that becomes temporary. I'm just writing this down as you uh, say that so I can remember to re-quote it later. Um, when we look at all the things that the provinces are doing, I know here in Alberta where I am, you know, the province has stepped up and said, you know, there is opportunity here, plus then there's federal opportunity if you're in isolation, you can't work i realize that you can't necessarily speak to all the provinces but how do we navigate that or is that like is there a person to call organizations how do we do it
1: if there's a person to call if uh, if the province mandates these
2: things yeah if one of the provinces has said that hey by the way like we're going to help you out too you know we typically don't go to the province for ei if you will um so you know do, do you just go to your provincial websites how do you even get started
1: well, if the province is uh, doling out certain kinds of benefits, then I think they're probably going to give specific information as to how to acquire that. Uh, I, I agree that it probably won't be through uh, the EI process because that is federal. Um, it may be the kind of thing where certain things that you normally would do certain taxes that you might file might be deferred so you might just be excused from doing certain things that you normally do rather than applying to get a specific benefit Uh, and we should remember that much of the package the 82 billion dollar package that the federal government granted was actually the tax deferral right so we might see some of that uh, from our provincial government as well. But the truth is that, you know, because this is uncharted territory and because these are new measures, um, I, I can't really say more than, uh, you know, what's what's publicly reported and, and what the government is, is telling us. And we're just going to have to keep our eye on the uh, provincial government announcements.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts,